Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello, welcome to Saturday Night and All the Things. I'm Monique Dusan. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is our Reconcile Banner. It's it's huge. It's kind of like, you know, a third third host. Yes, right. And this is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible and real life. Awesome. And helping us out on our show today, we have today and every day. Well, yes, today and every day. I, I thought you would go ahead oh, and just give is, that announcement. It's the official button pusher, Bob Bontrager. Awesome. Hello. And helping us out in our chat rooms, we have our moderators. I see Jeremy Webb and Laura, Laura Hartley. Woo-hoo. Yes. So we do want to invite you to join us on the live chat. Uh, we do actually look at the box. Yes. I, and there's some live streams. Sometimes I watch. They never look at the chat box and it's just a bunch of trolls talking to each other. We we actually like really look in the box and take and your questions. And we don't do trolls. Yeah. So our moderators know how to throw trolls out. So uh, you can join us there, both on Facebook and YouTube. Now, Facebook's a little bit more clunky, so we don't always see those comments until after the show. So if you want to have the best chance of having us field your comment or question, go over to YouTube. It's a lot easier for us to see them. We also want to encourage you to support the shows or some practical ways that you can do that yes you can buy a shirt or any merch from our family 210 store just go to family210.com all right tonight's design is the fruit of the spirit i like that one that one was designed by bob and it's available in a, a lot of different styles and colors and sizes everything's print on demand so you can just go to family 210 Dot com And that goes to help support our family. Uh, approximately $10 of each pur- purchase goes back to us. You can also share the, uh, support the show by hitting the thumbs up, sharing it, liking it, sending it to your friends, commenting on it. Yes. We appreciate all of those things because the, the pain and suffering that I'm going through as the social media manager. To, you know what? I made two posts today. Mm hmm. 800 people saw the posts well, out of our 18,000 followers. 800 people saw the post. It's painful. It's so, a personal thing with her, guys. It'll be okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just so we need your help to to share the show, make a comment, like it. Whenever you see a post from our uh, social media, please take a moment to yes, like it. Because get it out there. That really helps uh, trick the artificial intelligence into pushing it out so that other people will find our content. And that's really the number one way that people find us is people who have shared our content with others. Yes. So what's been happening with you this week? This week has been a bit of a busy week. Today we both spoke in Arizona and it was virtual. Last night I spoke in New Zealand it was virtual. And then on Thursday, we launched our Reconcile curriculum. Yes, it is officially out. There are no more pre-orders. The It was a digital and it is a digital curriculum. And it was delivered to everyone's inbox 
last night at 9 p.m. And so Pacific Pacific. Yes. So if you pre-ordered, go check your inbox. It should be there. And now you can just do the regular ordering. We're going to talk later in the show um, in more detail about the curriculum. So stay tuned to that. We're actually um, going to be interviewed. About yeah, we're going to kind of flip the script yeah. a little bit. we got a special uh, guest host tonight um, after our main guest who's going to come on and actually interview us. Yes. So that'll be big fun. It will be. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Why don't you introduce our guest tonight and kind of do a little bit of the, the topic setup? Okay. So I first heard about the one and only Abraham Hamilton III when I think you sent me a clip of him speaking on his podcast. He has a podcast called The Hamilton Corner. He's also a policy analyst with American Family Radio, but he was talking on his podcast about Black Lives Matter and the fact that it's like demonic. And I was like, who are you? We need to have a conversation. Because you had been saying that and taking the heat for a while and it just felt like why am I the only one who's no one sees this as demonic? <laughs> they and, they call on names of dead people. This should be a problem to us. But you know, there's that. And so um, another person that we've become connected to through the show, and she's actually been a guest on the show, yeah, Rihanna. Our, fri- our friend Rihanna. Yeah. yeah. I was I was mentioning Abraham to Rihanna, and she was like, Abe? And I was like, What? You just talk about him like you know him. You don't just call him Abe. With a name like Abraham Hamilton III, you don't just say Abe. He sees BLM as demonic. Of course, we are kindred spirits. Yes, She's right. like, I went to school with him and da 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 And I was like, oh, we need to talk. <laughs> and so um, she was able to connect us. And I praise God for that because not only is he someone who's um, using his voice to stand against things like Black Lives Matter and the social, this whole social justice narrative and movement, he's actually going to be a speaker, a plenary speaker at the UP conference in September. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. And we wanted to bring him on and let people get to know him a little bit if he's new to them. And we thought it would be a great conversation because of his work with the American Family Association to talk about, you know, his understanding of kind of politics and activism and that kind of a thing. So it'll be great to to dig into a little bit of that with him tonight. Yes, so let's bring him on. All right. There he is. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Thank you all for having me. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. We're so glad that you would be here. Thank you very much. Uh, thank, thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. Now, we're just going to jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Yeah, uh, first of all, Abraham Hamilton III is my name, as you guys mentioned. Um, I am... Um, a husband, a father, my wife and I, we have five children. Uh, we've been married going on 13 years now. Um, I am a homeschool dad. Um, most importantly, I'm uh, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank God for that. And um, I do serve as general counsel and the public policy analyst for the American Family Association. I also host the radio program on the American Family Radio Network uh, called the Hamilton Corner, which uh, airs Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, on AFR's nearly 200 stations. And we also offer it in podcast form. And it also airs on the NRB television network on Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. So, um, yeah, I'm doing a lot of different things. But by God's grace, 
Uh, I'm grateful to be alive at this time and to be a part of the Lord's remnant uh, to exalt the banner of Christ in this time that he's placed us all in. I think I'm going to need me a church fan because I can see this going some places tonight. <laughs> I'm going to just go ahead and fan you. Yes, we are coming, family. Now, part of part of what, what we do here is when you give a good word, you might get one of them black church fans. So you just <laughs> you just know you'll see it when you see it. Um, I'm very familiar with it. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana originally. So uh, I, I know what the fans look like. <laughs> I felt the wind a few of them in my growing up. So yes. <laughs> Now, we're talking about activism, and I really got the idea of talking about activism because I watched a a presentation that you did about five or six years ago talking about from apathy to activism. And I was just like, wow, you know, one of the things that I think Krista and I have talked about is what can activism look like? Is that something that Christians should engage in? There are many people out there that say, well, Jesus didn't, wasn't an activist. Paul didn't protest. And so so, you know, what what I want to do is kind of help us thread through some of those things, especially as we see things like in your talk, you were talking about Target at the time, you know, wanting to do things like um, just inclusive restrooms or, you know, as we see the push for things like LGBTQ normalization just in the mainstream, everything, everywhere. But I want to start off with with a a specific question of is there a difference and what do you see as the difference between advocacy and like protesting or, you know, writing some of the mainstream things that I think some people can think of when they hear the word activism? Yeah, I I, I do think there's a there's a clear difference between advocacy and um, and kind of protesting and things of that nature. Uh, as a Christian, first and foremost, I think everything that that I personally do, everything I think should be anchored in a biblical worldview. Uh, so first and, and, and foremost, and, and I, I get that question a lot. People say that, you know, Paul didn't protest things of that nature. The reality is Paul used the full complement of his Roman citizenship specifically to advance the, cop, the gospel. It was his citizenship that enabled him to make his appeal uh, to Caesar to have the gospel propounded in Rome. And in fact, uh, even in, in resisting the, the urging of fellow other believers saying, man, don't, don't do this. Cause if, you know, Agabus showed up and, you know, he said, took Paul's belt. And if, you know, the, the, the dude who this belt belongs to, he's going to be bound just like this. If he continues his course. And Paul's like, y'all, man, y'all are tripping. I'm not only willing to be bound. I'm willing to give my life uh, for the Lord. And then if you read Paul's epistle to the Philippians, the way that he concludes the epistle um, he, he says that the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ greet you, including those among Caesar's household. <laughs> How did he get access to Caesar's household? He, he used the full complement of his Roman citizenship to get access to Caesar himself and to his household, ultimately. So uh, I, I, I understand the heart where those kinds of um, remarks are made from, but I think they do not comport with the biblical worldview and understanding uh, God is the one who sovereignly placed us in the nations where we live knowing full well, uh, for example, if you live in the United States of America, that you would be placed in a nation that is a constitutional republic with democratic features. And so, and I, I don't want to have a long-winded answer right off the bat, but you look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says to the believers that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. He then adds, that, adds to that, that what good is the light if you put it under a bushel? The light must be put on the lampstand. Because if the light is placed at the highest elevation possible, in the house, then it's able to give light to all in the house, as opposed to having the light and putting it under under a bushel. 
So when you understand that instruction combined with Acts chapter 17, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, where the Bible tells us that God has sovereignly ordained, he has sovereignly determined, determined before time the times that we would live and the boundaries of our habitation. The fact that I am uh, an American citizen born and alive in the 21st century is not just the common happenstance of biological function. This is a part of God's sovereign and divine ordinance. And then in Acts 17, the Bible tells us why he did that, why he placed us any times he placed us in and why he places where he placed us where he did. He tells us why, so that men should seek God. So understanding that it is a part of God's divine design for me, for me to be an American citizen, as a believer, it is my responsibility to do everything in my power to put the light on the highest stand possible. You know, one of the behind the scene things that I do for uh, the American Family Association as a general counsel, uh, I'm an attorney as well. So on the legal side, I negotiate agreements for tower placements for our radio network. And you often hear like cell phone companies and others say things like, we're on the same towers as Verizon. Well, that don't really tell you much because you could be on the same tower, but it's a difference if you're at the 20 foot level on a tower or if you're at the 180 foot mark. If your communications equipment is at the 20 foot level, you're probably not gonna have ex as expansive the as the communication as the person who has their communications equipment at the 180 foot mark. Well, as Christ followers, the Lord compels us to make sure we not only have the light, but that we put it on the lampstand, put it at the highest trajectory possible. So intrinsic to our responsibility to execute the great commission, the Lord does require of us to use the full complement of his divine plan by placing us in the nation where we live to use everything at our disposal to elevate the cause of Christ. The last thing I'll say that advocacy must never be bifurcated from the proclamation of the gospel and making disciples. The reason why I engage uh, with the execution of my civic duties is to keep the door open for the gospel. You know, not too long ago, we had people occupying the Oval Office that would describe our First Amendment freedoms as not what the First Amendment says, the free exercise of religion. They would say freedom to worship. Now, that may seem like a simple and an innocuous rephrasing, but the reality is the implications of that statement, the, the implications are huge. If our freedoms are solely the freedom to worship, then that means then we only get to do what we do for the Lord in our church buildings or where we gather in formalized, organized worship. What the Founding Fathers articulated was a robust, full-throated, free exercise of religion, which means that I don't have to check my cross anywhere I go. I open a snowball stand. I open a a mechanic shop, no matter what I do, I can fully integrate my commitment to Christ in everything that I do. The implications of that rephrasing are huge, but the understanding has to be that I contend in the civic square for these rest purposes to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed and disciples are continuously made. We fall into error on either side of the ditch if we completely say we'll abandon civic engagement or if we go all in to where we're only committed to civic engagement. Both of those are ditches, but just on either sides. Of the, of, the, of the roadway. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week. <laughs> you better go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, I know you wanted to say something. Yeah, no. And uh, on that last point about the First Amendment, I want to commend to our, our listeners. Uh, we did a great conversation with Dr. Scott Waller a few weeks ago on FDR's speech of the four freedoms. And that's a critical moment when that shift in wording happened was in that speech of freedom to worship versus um, full exercise of our religion. So if people want to dig in deeper into that issue, I want to commend to them that conversation that we had with Scott Waller for our 4th of July episode. Mm -hmm. 
uh, to really understand that shift that happened in that famous speech yeah. by FDR. Four freedoms. The four freedoms. But I do want to dig a little bit deeper into what you said, Abraham, because I have to admit, I had not given uh, advocacy much thought before Monique and I became friends. I'm just kind of over here living my life, doing my thing, raising my kids. You better protest, girl. You better advocate. (laughs) And I'm like, I have no idea what we're even talking about right now. And I think that for, for many Christians, there's sort of this negative connotation of social advocacy with liberal causes. And, you know, some of the things that we saw last summer were being called advocacy of rioting and looting. And, and to me, I look at looting as, as breaking the eighth commandment of, of theft, you know, and, and, and so to me, that's very confusing. Like, I, is that advocacy? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? So maybe you can tell me from a biblical worldview, what are a few causes, like give me some examples of how you see the biblical worldview informing what I ought to advocate for in the public square. Sure. Well, well, first of all, as Christians, we never, there's never a cause that would allow us to violate the Ten Commandments. <laughs> there's, there's, there's never a cause that says, okay, because this cause is so great, we can start stealing <laughs> or damaging other people's property. Absolutely not. You know, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's amazing uh, because the, the Lord explained in Galatians chapter three, for example, that the law, well, let me go back because you have the apostle Paul, you know, the, the rabbi Saul, you know, trained as a Pharisee, trained under the rabbi Gamaliel, you know, zealous concerning all things, uh, all things, all the things uh, pertaining to the Hebraic law, uh, was a persecutor of the church until he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. He penned this, this, this Jewish, this Jew of Jews, Jewish apostle, uh, who became the apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, primary apostle to the Gentiles, who was then asked by the Galatians in particular, well, what then is the benefit of the law? To which Paul explained, no, the law was a schoolmaster, a, a trainer of the heart and the mind and of the conscience, frankly, uh, until we were ready to receive the full revelation of Christ as, as Jesus, as the Christ, the Messiah. In, in a lot of ways, the, the, the law is intended to, be, uh, to function in a similar way. Romans chapter 13 explains it. The law is a terror to those who do wrong, and it's a benefit to those who do right. The Lord always intended for the law to be a schoolmaster, a trainer of the heart, of the mind, to really serve as a runway, um, ultimately, for the gospel. So I'll give a couple of examples. So uh, here's here's this one example. In, In all things concerning justice, in my view, it has to stem from a fundamental biblical anchoring in the Imago Dei the understanding that all people are bearers of the image of the creator God. That has to be the fulcrum for all conversations about justice. So there was a time in our nation's history, you may not be aware of this, (laughs) but I've said that as a joke, Uh, when in our country, it was illegal in many states for a more melanated person to marry a less melanated person, all right? That was the law in our country that was supported by many people in our country until something changed in the legal sphere. In 1967, you had the Loving versus Virginia case, uh, which we can get a whole story that, you know, Supreme Court's not to pronounce laws, Congress is too, but that, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. We can get into that if you want to. Uh, but when Loving versus Virginia was handed down, 
it was handed down at a time when a pretty significant component portion of the American population believed that people should not marry based on their melanin display, you know? But when Loving versus Virginia changed over time, and here's the thing I've explained before, the law, people say law doesn't change the hearts of people. Well, that's not true. Law does not change people's hearts as quickly and robustly and completely as thoroughly as the gospel does. But the law does change the hearts of the people governed by that law over time. This Loving versus Virginia case is an example of that uh, because in the state of Virginia, you're familiar with the story, it was illegal for people to marry if they had different <laughs> skin displays. It's so foolish. After that decision, over time, we now are in a place in the country where the overwhelming majority of the people in our country have no problem with melanin display and how it affects whether or not we could be married. A change in the understanding of the law in 1967 resulted in the change in the hearts of the people governed by that law in the United States of America over time. Now, that is not equivalent nor synonymous with regeneration, but that is a change in the heart that could move our populace to a greater understanding of people being made in the image of God. There was an article published by National Geographic in 2018 where they said, drum roll please, there's no such thing as race. There's no scientific for basis for race. It is a made up label. Now, the reality is you could have asked me that. I could have told you about 2000 years ago that we knew that to be true. But the changes in law set the course for the changes of the minds and the hearts of the people governed by that law over time to where that statement being made is not as revolutionary as it might have been in the 1960s, for example, when Samuel Morton's ideology uh, about, you know, monogenism versus polygenism, where he thought that various iterations of skin color represented different creation events, right. <laughs> fundamentally denying the truth of scripture. And we're going to have a whole show on that in a few weeks with our friend, Dr. Joe Miller, yes. uh, on that very issue. So people can look forward to us digging into that. So if you think about, I love your example of the loving versus Virginia, because that helps us reflect on history of, of a change that was made through a policy issue. I'm wondering maybe if you can give us a couple of examples of, of things that you think Christians ought to advocate for now. Yeah, one, one clear one is, you know, the whole abortion issue, you know. Prior to 1973, the overwhelming majority of the U.S. population decried abortion. De I mean, despised it. You couldn't find people to have public conversation about it, let alone mount a political stage and say, we're going to shout about our abortions and, and, and celebrate those things transpiring. But the day that will forever leave an infamy in my mind, January 22nd, 1973, after Roe versus Wade was decided, and then it's progeny, Casey, Planned Parenthood versus Casey and other cases, then the national heart and the national mind changed on the issue mm -hmm. to where you have a full half of our country that believes it should be a civil right. Like the intentional slaughter of a human being should be viewed as a civil right. Mm -hmm. That is another full-throated attack on the Imago Day because it is the Lord himself who explained. You look at Luke chapter 18 versus Luke chapter 4 when, you know, uh, Elizabeth vis visits Mary, and the Bible says the babe leaped in her womb. The Greek word there is brephos. Well, you go forward in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus says, don't prohibit the children, let them come to me. Some translations say infants. Well, the Greek word is there is brephos, again. I mean, it communicating that there's no distinction between a child in the womb and a child outside of the womb. Mm. Why is that so important? You cannot tell me that a society that will allow the continuous slaughter of innocent children, you want to talk about the most vulnerable people? A baby in the womb. You cannot tell me in a, a society that would allow that to continue to happen, that that society can be described as a civil 
society, as a compassionate society. We should not be surprised then that a society that would do that to children in the womb will then treat other image bearers disparately at the different ages in their lives, including when they get older in age. That is another issue that Christians can be involved in. And let me say this as well. When I say that Christians should be involved, I want to make sure everybody understands that I am not saying that every single Christian needs to do the exact same thing. I think one of the problems we, that we have in the body of Christ is that when somebody has a gifting or a calling to take up a particular issue or a particular mantle, we tend to interpret all of life through that understanding. So, you know, if I'm if I'm evangelizing on the streets, I have the potential or the temptation to treat somebody else who may be a member of the body of Christ as if they're a junior Christian or may not even be a Christian at all if they're not in these streets, yo, like I am. Well, no, we're different members of the body. Every joint has to supply. We're not all to do the same things. If I'm an I, I'm not going to uh, denounce and denigrate a nose because you're sniffing around all day. No, I'm going to celebrate your sniffing and I'm going to get my seeing on so that we can function and thrive together and understand that we are one body, albeit many members, but that we are contending for the same cause of Christ and working together to advance the gospel. Now, don't even start. Miss, don't even start. Now, Abraham. I got my fan. A few years ago <laughs> when I met Miss Monique, she used to tell me unequivocally, I was a junior Christian because I didn't know anything about justice. I wasn't out there in the streets. I wasn't marching. I wasn't a critical race theory advocate. I, I might not even be saved. And now it, you really might not. I got questions. <laughs> she thought, well, if everybody's not marching, everyone's not passionate about the same things. You just, you, you just suspect. So it's a little gratifying for me on, on this side of that. To hear Brother Abraham say, there can be different giftings in the body. Here, let me fan you. You can cool off a little bit. Yes, because I am hot. <laughs> That's not my idea. That came straight from the word of God. That's you know? right. <laughs> now, I'm just ribbing her. She's not still like that. But but boy, in the beginning, boy, we have some. We had words. We did, but I'm big, I'm, I'm big on advocacy or at least standing for your principles. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, yes, yeah. I did think that you might be a bit, <laughs> not unsaved, just on the outskirts of the kingdom. <laughs> just start on the bubble. You on the, the no, the outskirts. We're going to stick with the outskirts. Okay, well. Now, now I want to. Thank you for taking over because um, <clears throat> I'm kind of lost. That's okay. I, I'll help you. Um, I think as we're thinking about this, a common question that we get is, yeah, OK, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, the Supreme Court passed in 2015 the gay marriage decision. And that is changing, I think, the hearts of many Americans as we um, that that law kind of that sensibility rules our country. Mm -hmm. And people will write into the ministry and say, well, you know, is it wrong to legislate? Morality. I mean, because basically what we're doing is we're taking principles from God's law and suggesting public policy mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on that. Is is that is there something illegitimate about that, that we are somehow engaging in coercion uh, and, and moral imposition on other people? So I'm wondering mm -hmm. if maybe you can comment on that. 
Sure. Well, well, and, and to your earlier point, the Obergefell decision from June of 2015 is not only changing the minds of Americans, it's changing the minds and the hearts of the professing church in our country. Ooh, do we preach. About the preach. Uh, do we even need to talk about how people are reinterpreting theology uh, in light of the Obergefell decision? I mean, I mean, th- this is it's it's in the church. And so when and I, I've gotten that question as well. Um, and to that question, I often respond. What aspects of law are not a fundamental morality decision? <laughs> mm. When the law says that you can't steal, is that not a moral proclamation? When the law says uh, that you can't cheat on your taxes, is that not a moral proclamation? It, the question is not whether or not pe- we can legislate morality. The issue is whose morality will be legislated. Oh. Because legislation is a fundamental morality determination. It is a body of people saying that the populace that elected them has stated these are the standards and norms that we want to live by. As a believer, what I am saying is that the standards and norms articulated in the word of God create the best standards for us to live by. I am not interested at all in creating a theocracy. I am not interested at all in compelling people uh, because the Lord doesn't compel people to submit their lives to him. What I am interested is in articulating and crafting public policy that is the best for all of human flourishing. And for, I don't know, five, six thousand years, the fundamental idea that marriage should is, is consists of a relationship between a man and a woman uh, that results in the production of offspring, that was not merely a theological imposition. I mean, you have Muslim nations that agree with that notion. You have, you know, uh, Jewish na- notions that agree with that nation notion. What I what I find is that people disingenuously reflect on, uh, for example, advocating for the exclusive union of one man and one woman as the only definition for marriage, which, by the way, it is, because God, as the creator of marriage, gets to define it. Uh, when people try to decry that as merely being a religious notion, um, I find that to be a disingenuous representation, because for, all, for a pretty significant component of human history, that that wasn't even a question. The only reason why the question is being presented nowadays is because of this full-throated push for the normalization and, 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 and not merely the legalization, because if it was solely to make it legal, then why is every commercial on TV right now trying to influence young, per, young people, influence other people that this is the type of lifestyle that they should prefer? You know, why did, you know, Madsen and Kirk write their book after the ball, how to compel the United States of America to celebrate and to embrace homosexuality? People who say there's no such thing as a, same, as a sexual deviancy agenda, they intentionally obfuscate the fact that there literally is a textbook that our society has been utilizing to implement these things that was published in the eighties that gave a step-by-step process for how to do these things. Yeah, I have that. I have that book after the ball and I encourage people. It's hard to find. You have to get it used, but I have it in my personal library and it is basically written in the late eighties and it's a how-to manual and you see how the normalization has been implemented and what the blueprint was from the beginning. And I think you, you were, you, once they felt like they accomplished their goals. Yeah. <laughs> and you raise a very um, important point about, and I'd never considered this before, of, you know, when a law comes about, people's hearts can can often be reshaped by that either way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why the conversation about, let's go back to the abortion issue for a minute, is still an important conversation for us to engage in because now we're living under this principle, but people's hearts, I think, are changing about it. And people's, 
you know, through our, through the case making, you know, we can change people's hearts and that maybe one day that, that law will change. And so, um, but there's also, I think the very real conversation of when a, a nation has so many laws that go against God's created order and go against his justice standards, that that is a nation that God will, per, will um, persevere with them for a while in patience, but not forever. Hmm. Right. God is long suffering, not forever suffering. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That, that's a word right there. Yeah. So in, in the middle of all this, what do you think will happen if Christians don't push beyond apathy to advocacy? Like what are, what are, you know, I know you're not like, you know, the seer into the future, but you know, if you think about it, what do you think some of the implications are if we allow culture to continue to advocate and push its way and legislate into the church versus, versus the church legislating and advocating for a biblical morality? Yeah. I I think what'll happen and I'll say it this way. I had a, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Nigeria and uh, we were having a conversation, and he talked about how historically the United States of America sent, has sent the most missionaries into the world. Um, he became a Christian as a result of an American missionary uh, preaching the gospel in Nigeria. He said, America has now become the mission field. And he, he said that in 2000. <laughs> and I think what will happen is if the body of Christ, and, and remember that advocacy in and of itself is not the objective. The objective is to win hearts and minds through the gospel. But what happens is when we continuously allow wicked laws, they have the capacity to create additional obstacles and hurdles to the gospel because they'll say, well, how, how can this be wrong? If it was so bad, why then would it be legal? Right. You know, and, and that creates an additional hurdle. If uh, Christians refuse to be salt and light, which Jesus said we are to be, uh, we, it would be salt having lost its savor. And what I think will happen ultimately is we have more people who end up becoming fodder uh, to be deluded by the great deceiver, Satan himself. And so, as, as I stated earlier, you know, like, for example, here's another, another perfect example. You know, like I said, I'm a homeschool dad. Homeschoolers represent about maybe in recent, recent months, it's exploded. But homeschoolers represent only about 11 percent of the population of children being taught in, being taught in our nation. So that means that there are 89% of the, of school-aged children in our country who are being educated in other areas. Because of Obergefell being treated as a civil right, the same-sex marriage issue now added to a transgender ideology is being taught right alongside the panoply of civil rights history in our country. It's actually being described as the latest iteration of Dr. Martin Luther King's dream in mm -hmm. some places. Mm -hmm. And so what that, what that creates... Then you, Christian mom and Christian dad, who's endeavoring to rear your children in a nurture and admission of the Lord, but you send your children to be educated and tell them, do well in school, baby. Learn well what you're being taught. Then when they go to school, they're being taught, well, there was not just Adam and Eve. There was Adam and, and Steve. And two mommies are just as viable as two daddies. Well, what if Sally comes to school today and she tells you she wants to be Sam? But, oh, by the way, don't tell your mom about what we're teaching you, you know, because they're so stuck in the past. They not, may not be ready to have these conversations. So we'll create this safe space for you 
in in school and we'll have these conversations. And then now mom and dad come get home and they wonder, why is Sally so rebellious? Why won't Sally talk to me? Why am I having this interruption in my relationship with Sally? Which, oh, by the way, the Bible teaches whose responsibility is it to primarily contribute to the disciple making of the children born to Christian families? It's the parents. So it is because of this advancement of wicked legal understanding that an additional hurdle to gospel truth being conveyed and an impediment to discipleship is erected all on the at the same time where there's Christians around kind of saying, I wonder, I wonder what I need to do. I wonder how I can respond to this. And we end up playing defense instead of responding in accord with what Jesus said when he was talking to Peter, who do men say that I am? I say you to Christ. Uh, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father's revealed that to you in heaven. Upon this rock, and Jesus was using a little bit of wordplay there, like a rapper, like an MC. The rock wasn't Peter, is a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. But it said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Gates are defensive instruments. The church is supposed to be advancing, but by and large, all too often, we're playing defense, simply allowing the world to set the course for our day, and we just respond in a defensive manner. And that's what happens when. We are content just letting the world do what it does. I say on my show all the time, well, the world is going to world. I don't expect the world to be anything other than the world. So then if the world is going to world, how am I going to take up the space to occupy until he returns? That means affirmative in what I'm pursuing in some, some fashion. And so that is what happens. That one issue describing how the sexual deviancy political agenda has now crept into the homes of the body of Christ to where you have entire denominations changing their theology and you have parents struggling with how to share the gospel and make disciples of their children and they don't even know where this stuff started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's all we got. The world gone world. I say culture gone cult. It's gone yeah. cult. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, what, they, the world can be crazy. The world is going to be crazy. But the church shouldn't be crazy. That's right. We should not be crazy. But so much of what you're saying is so important and relevant in the conversation of critical race theory. You know, like saying that, you know, my child is going to go to school and they're going to learn this LGBTQ plus queer trans, like all of this, this ideology and, you know, this oppressor, oppressive, um, you know, mindset and like all of these things. The, the thing is, though, is that what we don't understand is when we aren't taking a stand and we are allowing these things to go forward, we can't just be like, well, you know, I, I see my, my rebellious teen. I wonder why she's rebellious without understanding what's being taught to them in school that's helping to influence this rebellion. And then when you go to school to ask them, hey, is there anything off about my kid? The teacher does not have to tell you. And in some states is legally bound not to tell you that your child is this or your child is doing that or goes by this other name goes by this other name goes by this other sex because of things like child studies like critical race theory sin is the issue it's coming in the form of critical race theory at this moment but we aren't looking at all of the other social theories that are even tied to critical race theory like the child studies but that's a whole nother talk for a different day yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Abraham knows that you were entangled in critical race theory for half your life. Why are you trying to bring this man down that road? He got he, a family and he, kids he, at home. He might not need that stress. He might not know. He might not need that stress in his life. Well, he might not know what God's transforming power. Look what the Lord <laughs> has done. Sorry, I'm a little off beat. Yeah, but look what the Lord has done. Yeah. Yeah, I used to be wrapped up in it. I used to live that life. No. Yeah. yeah. I, I was. Um, All right. And yeah. But. All right. Well, I got one more topic before we, we let Abraham go. 
right. I really want to talk about boycotts because this is something that that I get asked about from time to time. And I just I don't know. I don't have a good answer about boycotts. Like, do boycotts work? You know, should we unplug Disney Plus because every other thing they got to they got to import LGBT issues into every show and every every film every show with disney right now has an lgbtq plus theme except for the um falcon winter soldier which was a whole crt kind of thing (laughs) yeah so i mean should 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 i unsubscribe from disney disney do boycotts work and and what's the difference between a boycott and canceling yeah so in order to assess whether or not boycotts work or anything for that matter, you have to know what your goal, what your purpose was in the very beginning. So it's no secret. Um, I did a bunch of interviews when uh, Target did, made the decision to publicly announce that they wanted to basically transgenderize their bathrooms. They did that intentionally, uh, that the American Family Association launched a boycott against Target. Now, when we launched that boycott, was our objective to make Target go out of business? No. No. Our objective was to get people to think about the issue and to talk about it. We had no delusions that Target would go out of business, but we wanted to aid Christians primarily in America and the society at large to be aware of what Target did and to think about that issue and then to discuss it, okay? There was a woman, uh, I forgot her name, but she was the head of the ACLU in Georgia. Uh, the ACLU, you know, and I, I don't call them progressives. I call them regressives because they're not advancing anything. They're taking us backwards. But mm-hmm. um, she embraced all causes regressive as the head of the ACLU. But she noticed that the ACLU, which was used to be, you know, a free speech organization, you know, embracing all these other deals, their entire focus has shifted towards transgenderism. She didn't understand why, didn't necessarily agree with, with it, but didn't say anything about it. Then she took a trip with her daughter to Disneyland in California. And I described this phenomenon, I actually wrote about this. I described it as the Mike Tyson theorem. Mike Tyson had a theorem when he was at the pinnacle of his career. He said that everybody has a plan to beat me until they get hit in the mouth. <laughs> Once they get hit in the mouth, their plans go out of the window. Well, this woman had this experience because in Disneyland, while she's there with her daughter, who was like four years old at the time, or maybe five years old, in walks three men. She, this is what she said. All, each of them over six feet tall, each of them with booming bass voices, dressed like women, but it was obvious that they are, were men. She said she was racked with fear and panic. So was her child. And that experience caused her to begin to challenge and to question things that were being done in the ACLU, which, by the way, if I hadn't said it yet, is not a very conservative outfit. She said she learned that all of the money for the ACLU had been poured in towards that transgender issue, which is why that they were pushing that. And she said, wait a minute, we need to stop and think about this because we've been fighting for all of these years, for example, for women's rights. But if this ideology catches on, then this will effectively eliminate women and girls as a viable category. And as a result of her protestations within her organization, she was let go. Now, she had a Mike Tyson moment because before her experience in that bathroom, it was just an idea. It was just a theory. Then when she's in, you know, with her, her clothes in a particular place and her daughter in particular vulnerabilities, had that having that experience caused her to think about it again. Our whole purpose in launching that boycott was to make people aware. 
so that can have the conversation, so they can think through this issue and see whether or not there were any biblical implications for this issue. The main reason why we launched this issue is because the whole notion of the sexual deviancy political agenda is a direct assault on the authority of scripture and the biblical teaching of the Imago Dei. Why do we have a the why does the scripture teach that salvation through Jesus Christ is necessary? Because of what's conveyed to us in the biblical history in Genesis chapter one and chapter two. Sin into the world, I'm sorry, death into the world as a product of sin. The only, that is in Genesis one and two. What else is in Genesis one and two? He made them both male and female. Well, if we allow as believers, the society to straight up come in our house and question the authority and the applicability come on. of Genesis. Sorry. whether or not they made them both male and female, then why would the same culture and society not be equally right in questioning the applicability and the authority of Genesis 3? The fact that death is the product of sin entering the world. And what is the only remedy that exists for sin? It's salvation through Jesus Christ. If we allow the culture to rebuke and repudiate Genesis 1, to rebuke and repudiate Genesis 2, then we are simultaneously pulling the rug from underneath our own ability to cling, to cleave, and to proclaim the truth of Genesis 3. That's why this is a gospel issue. Our purpose with the boycott was to raise the gospel centrality of this issue and to invite people to think about it, be aware of it, think about it, and talk about it. And so in that regard, I believe the boycott was very successful. And when we think about, you know, the Disney Plus situation, because that's been a conversation in our house. I'm, I'm just going to kind of lay it out there. Like, we are big Star Wars, Marvel fans. Well, I'm not, but everyone else in the house is. I don't understand that stuff. But, you know, the the question of, you know, canceling Disney Plus and all of that, will it really make a difference? Well, it's just kind of this little thing here and there. But to me, you know, the conversation we've been having is, yeah, but it's so trying to normalize it. And so even, well, it's just one character. It's just one episode. Yeah, but it's 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 <laughs> it comes into your house and it conditions your kids in some way that that, it's that it's normal. And over time, that will capture their hearts. Um, and so, you know, even if the boycott or unplugging something like Disney Plus doesn't put Disney out of business, it at least sends a message to our own children that we will not normalize these things in our house. We will be clear that boys and girls are different and God's created identity. Uh, we're going to walk in, in that understanding. Absolutely. And, and, and you, you know, raising children more is caught than it's taught. You know, how can we continuously advocate these things while our children see us laughing and joking and getting pleasure? from the normalization of, of these other issues. Now mm -hmm. I am, as a believer, I would never want to intrude or impede on someone else's conscience. I will never tell you if you don't unplug from Disney Plus, for example, that you are a wicked sinner. I would never do that. But we should have the conversation. Are we normalizing wickedness? Would we, would we you know, uh, normalize for our children the consistency of a fornic fornication relationship? Nobody's married, everybody's intimate, and is that normal for our children and for our families? And so the, 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 that question goes to the individualized uh, conscience and our individual approach to the Lord and our responsibility to make disciples and setting the standard for what we'll accept in our family. You know, we got rid of Netflix, not because of some boycott, but I, I set my children down the same thing I tell them. We don't watch these particular shows anymore because of this. I set them down. It was like, listen, every time daddy tries to open a show, there's some naked woman on the show. All right. I have a covenant with the Lord for what I'm going to consume. 
audibly and visually. I want you to know the same thing we're requiring of you is the same thing that daddy and mommy are doing. There's no level of entertainment that is that is so entertaining that should cause me to be willing to compromise my commitment to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that, that you cannot, uh, that everybody has the same filters and things of that nature, but I'm saying I am teaching my own children the call to follow the Lord is to follow the straight and narrow path. The call to follow him is the call to peculiarity. This peculiarity is not a performative peculiarity. We're not trying to look different for them outside. It's a peculiarity that emanates from the inside. So it begins with what I am and who I am and what I consume. And so I endeavor to display the very same things I want to cultivate in my family. And so those things are effective. And, and, and I often ask believers this question, if God has called us to be peculiar, how long is it going to take us to be willing to say, I'm willing to be that? That's right. All right. We got one question. I've got three minutes. So I want to know, let's talk about canceling and, and, you know, the, this, this issue of canceling is just taking over. It's, it's making everything toxic and poisons everything. What do you see as being the difference between boycotts and a raising a legitimate conversation and canceling? The gospel is the difference. So just because I don't like a certain actress to choose, that's not a, a reason for me to, to not watch a film or something. Now, if this actress is actively participating in an artistic display, that is shaping and molding the consciousness of my children and shaping and normalizing sin in my family, well, you better believe that's going to be canceled. You know, what do you think the Apostle Paul did to the Ephesians in Ephesus? Uh, you know, uh, they had a whole industry called Artemis Shrine statue making. It's not that Paul had a specified beef with men having jobs and making money, but if you're making money from worshiping a pagan deity, yet you're professing to be a Christian, well, those two things can't flow. You know, and so it's not that Paul set out, I want to destroy Artemis statue making. No, his whole point was so that Ephesians can know, the, could hear the gospel and enjoy eternal life. As a consequence of that proclamation of the gospel, there were Ephesians who realized, man, you know what? We don't need to be buying these statues anymore. That is the defining line. It all goes back to our commitment to Christ. So there is a difference between this generalized culture phenomenon called canceling uh, than it is making decisions as a result of our commitment to Christ. What, what are there impediments that, to our following the Lord Jesus Christ that we are voluntarily and welcoming into our lives? And if that is the case, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? And if it would aid us in following the Lord and being um, uh, more effective as advocates and ambassadors of, of the kingdom of God by making an adjustment in what we consume, then why would we not make that adjustment? Man, that's a good word. That's a tough word, but it's a good word. And, you know, the call to be a peculiar people. And, you know, you often say living contrary to culture, countercultural. Countercultural, yeah. That is, that's that's a good word. And it's a strong word. It's a word that, you know, I hope and pray that people live into, myself included, that we would live into. Thank you so much. I know that um, you have young people, young, young, young kids running around. So we want to make sure that we get you off in a timely manner. But thank you so much just for all the wisdom that you dropped. Um, we have people in the chat saying that's discipleship one-on-one, which is something that I know is close to your heart. So yes. just thank you. We are looking forward to having you at the UP conference and um, yes. listening to your conversation on justice and why it begins at home. So yes. if you haven't registered for UP, do so. Register for UP. We'll tell you how later on in the show. Yeah. But Abraham, thank you so much. Thank you. Can I say one thing? Literally yeah. 15 Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the 
commitment of being counterculture is not that we sit around and wait to see what the culture is doing. It's an internal commitment first is that we are committed to the culture of Christ's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so if anything arises that would contradict that, then we already have our marching orders. We're not waiting to see what the world does yes. next, but we would stand. So that's the only thing I was going to say. Definitely. That's a good word. That so, is a, that's a really good one. Thanks for s sitting up late and hanging out with us tonight. We really yes. appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. God all bless right. you. God bless. God bless you. Yeah, all right, let's do a couple good. couple comments. Uh, Candy's comment uh, is a good one on YouTube. Uh, she says, I don't know where I heard this, but you can't give your kids to Caesar and be surprised when they return as Romans. That's a Vodi Bacham quote. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, just going back to what Abraham was saying earlier about, you know, sending our kids to public school and then wondering, like, hey, how come my kids are rebelling? Like, yeah. Well, how come they don't What's have my value? Well, how come they don't have my value system anymore? Um, you know, just understanding that. Um, so many good comments. People loved Abraham. He brought good value and information. Now we mentioned the book after the ball, and then people went on Amazon like, "Whoa, it's three hundred dollars!" Oh, <laughs> yeah, I bought mine. I think I paid like eighty bucks for it. Oh, um, it's just a paperback, but. It's hard to find, but people might be able to find it like on Google Books or something. It might be uh, they got a out Kindle there. edition for twenty or something. No, it's it's old. It's from the eighties. You can scan it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And check it out at the library. See if they have it at the library. I don't know. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about the Up Conference since we just had Abraham on, and yes. then he's going to be a plenary speaker uh, for the conference going to be talking about, you know, so much of the justice conversation is out there. And we covered a lot of that tonight. Yeah. But we're going to have him kind of turn the conversation to the home. Yeah. And how, from a biblical perspective, so much of the justice starts with how we treat the people in, in our, our homes mm -hmm. and in our sphere of influence. Yes. Our entire conference is about justice. You know, doing doing justice from God's point of view, not just what I think is just or or define as justice. God is the one who sets the standard and the bar for what is just and how we do justice according. You know, Michael six eight says do justice, but it doesn't tell me how that how I do it. And so just look. And I at see that on social media all the, all time. the time. Do justice. Well, what does that mean? You know. So we're gonna yeah. really dig into justice. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, sorry. No, so we want to encourage people to go check out the UP Conference. They can go to the center, uh, go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled. And nope, no, not reconciled. No, that's this. Up, up 2021. Yes. That's up what it is. And you can check it out, see our speakers, see who's going to be there. Abraham Hamilton. So if you enjoyed Abraham tonight, go register for the UP Conference. So you can hear more from him. Yes. Now we are going to turn the tides a little bit and we are actually going to be interviewed. We have a guest host for tonight and our brother Edwin Ramirez is going to interview us about our curriculum reconciled on Thursday. We had our launch party and in case you missed it, well, here's some, an opportunity to find out more about reconciled, but it is, Live, it is, if you go on right now to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled, you can order it and receive it like right now. That's no right. more waiting. No more so waiting. Let's get Edwin on.
Oh, there he is. Good evening. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Yes. Good evening, man. Abraham was on fire. Let's go. Right. <laughs> what? Right. I was I'm like, to preach tomorrow. I'm yeah, ready. Yes. Yes. Right. I was like, but where is the lie? Because I know somebody like, but he didn't say, but where is the lie? There ain't no lie. Come on. He was telling yeah, the that's truth. Good. That was a good <laughs> yes. word. All right. So we we are now turning all the things over to you. All right, good. Well, uh, so tonight we're going to have some questions for you, ladies, to answer uh, for the new curriculum you have out. And I think uh, thank you first and foremost for letting me uh, do this. I think this is a great idea and a good opportunity to expose people to the curriculum to kind of get their their juices flowing in preparation for it. And so. Uh, I do have some questions here for you. Uh, before I ask the questions, I want to say great job, both of you. Just great job with how you've laid this out, you and your team, and just your heart behind wanting to bring reconciliation uh, where there's brokenness. So praise the Lord mm -hmm. for that and praise God how he's using you all. And, you know, there's so many people that God is using uh, that that don't have platforms and do have platforms. And so just to encourage you, ladies, uh, just again, that the Lord is always working, even when we feel discouraged and feel like there's no one uh, doing the Lord's work. He has plenty of people that have not bowed the knee. So that's right. This, is, this, this adds to uh, the many things that that God is doing uh, in, in these areas. So. With no further ado, let's get to these questions. Let's All do right. it. All right. So the first question we have tonight is, what is reconciled and who is it for? That is a good question. All right. So you can go check it out. If you want more information, go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled this time. And it's a this is a six-week small group curriculum. Um, it's something that you can share with your home group. But you could also do it as like a high school homeschool co-op group or as a as a youth group or you could walk. Uh, we had somebody reach out to us like a school principal at a Christian school wanted to walk all his faculty members through it yeah. before school started uh, to get them in the conversation. So be creative. Don't don't just automatically think, oh, only home group, you know, that they can really have a lot of different applications. Yeah, I think it is um, lay level enough to be able to even reach into like the younger high school age and, you know, be able to reach a pastoral staff. Yeah. You know, so it it it's it has a good um, versatility yeah. to it, I would say. Now, if, if you were going to use it with high schoolers or, you know, older junior high school kids, I would say thread it out a little bit, you know, maybe take two weeks to go through a chapter so that they can really chew on some of the concepts. Yeah. But it definitely is, um, is available. It's an available resource to kids yeah. through adults. And I like your idea of even like pastoral staffs could mm -hmm. go through it. Mm -hmm. It's something that can help get everybody in the room sort of more on the same page. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. a lot of it is honestly digging deeper into scripture. Like yeah. we're not coming forward with super long explanations about things. We're kind of like, Hey, we're going to read the scriptures out loud in context. 
lots of verses, yeah. and then we're going to discuss them together. Yeah, that's good. So one of the things I like about it, and I'll just I'll just add that here. One of the things I appreciate about it is it's it's creating a systematic theology on the topic of reconciliation. And it's helping it's helping people think biblically about this topic. We have so many voices, right? Even in the quote unquote Christian world, you have be the bridge, right? That that puts mm-hmm. out their curriculum. You have your your version of woke preachers that put out their curriculum over the pulpit to their people on Sunday mornings. And so this this comes, I think it will come as a breath of fresh air for people who may be even wondering what is going on? Hmm. Like what what's happening? I don't have the answers, but but I know this isn't right. And so I, I think I think this will do that and this will be that for people. And so that's my prayer. Um, so anyway, I think this is a good systematic way of working through the topic of justice and reconciliation and unity and family and so on and so forth. So those are some thoughts of mine uh, looking over the curriculum. All right. Second question. All right. So what made you decide to write this curriculum? Well, we just, we were asked like uh, when, when things kind of got just exploded and like went off the hook in last summer. Yeah. But well, for, it started with Ahmaud Arbery yeah. back in like March. And by the time we ended up with George Floyd, people were like, Hey, you know, do you guys talk about this or do you have anything written on this? And I found be the bridge. And, and that's we were, sort of the same thing as you, right? Yeah. Y'all and be yeah, the bridge are like sister ministries. So <laughs> We were like, no, we need to, you know, really put something out that that explains biblical unity, you know, and no shade on Be the Bridge. I actually think that Latasha Morrison like had a a, started from a good place. I do honestly think that she's kind of gone off the rails in in a lot of her messaging or approach. But, um, you know, I we wanted to do something that was 100 percent specific, like just biblical, like just just Jesus in the scriptures. And, you know, part of um, part of the curriculum are video components. But the video components are very small in time because we didn't want to have someone just in front of the camera doing all the teaching and all the work. That is the work of scripture. Scripture can speak for itself. Yeah, I think the 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 videos are fairly short. They're nine to 12 minutes approximately. So Monique kind of brings in some of her personal story and, and connections to the culture through the videos, but it's, we're mostly wanting the scriptures to do the heavy lifting for people. And and the primary instruction is around the scriptures. We didn't want to platform a personality Mm -hmm. and make people, we don't want people to follow us because of, who we are. We want people to follow the Lord. Mm-hmm. We're trying to point people to Christ. Yeah. And that that's really our heart. So um, I think that the, the why we wrote it was we just felt like there was nothing out there that led people from A to Z through the scriptures on what scripture had to say about, um, you know, ethnicity and developing a, a sound theology of ethnicity and unity in the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I, I like the, the other videos you have in the curriculum as resources for people to go back to, you know, just resources to maybe I can't look at this now, but mm-hmm. I'd like to go into more detail later. And so that's a good, it's a good opportunity. And just another note with that, with the amount of scripture you have in there, 
and I know this was your heart in doing this, is so good because a lot we, we'd be surprised how many professing Christians or Christians are not in the Word of God, how much time they they spend on YouTube looking at videos. And hey, praise God, right? The Lord has provided many voices to speak, but oftentimes we don't hear what God has said. And mm. so I love how in the curriculum you're pointing them to words from God that they can go to in their Bibles and read for themselves and think through biblically on these topics. So that's great. All right. So there's so much talk about critical race theory, right? That's the buzz. We see this in public school. We see this taking place uh, in churches and over the pulpits and so on and so forth. So with all the talk about critical race theory, why the emphasis on unity and not a curriculum necessarily on critical race theory? You want to go first? Sure. I, okay. I think it is important to point out that it is not a curriculum that's about defeating critical race theory. Mm -hmm. This is the positive case for what does the Bible say about a theology of ethnicity? It mm -hmm. is so it, this is not the defeater for critical race theory. That's not what this is. And our, our hope was to really ground people in their worldview because you can try to defeat a worldly ideology, but if you don't have something underneath it, if you don't have the solid biblical grounding, um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a more difficult conversation. So we would often be asked like, okay, I get it. You're against critical race theory, but what's, what's the positive case? Mm -hmm. What's, what's the way forward? What's the alternative? Well, this is what this is. Yeah, I second everything that, that you just said. I think, um, you know, many Christians don't have a true, like, deep foundation in the word or their worldview. And so before we can go and talk about critical race theory and all that, you need to understand what you do believe, you know. And so I, for me, that was the case. So it, to me, it just seemed very appropriate. And it was, you know, definitely your idea. Because um, we had it, yeah. that conversation early on is, are we going to have a, is this going to be a bunch of critical race theory or what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And we made a decision pretty early on in the writing that we were just going to focus on grounding people in their worldview. Yeah. Cause especially if you're grounding your worldview, when something comes in, that's not part of the worldview, you'll be able to be like, Hey, that don't, that don't sound too right. Even if you don't know how to defend it 100% or, you know, even understand what it is exactly, at least you'll understand your worldview and understand or feel the thorn when the thorn comes in. Right. Yes. Yes. All right. That's good. <laughs> That's good. And I'm encouraged by that because when you, when you meditate on what God's word says, it's, tattooed on your soul right yeah. and so when anything else comes in it's like no but we're united in christ mm -hmm. no but we're one in him no mm -hmm. we're alive and you know like you just it just repels off of you and 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 maybe you have friends who are still like well that doesn't really answer my question about critical race theory and it's like look look what god says in his word you mm -hmm. know and so that's great very good um, all right. So what are a few takeaways? Next question. What are a few takeaways you want people to get or to, to that you want them to get out of this six week, um, six week study? Like what are some things you want them to get out of it at the end of it? Who is it? Sister Sledge that sings We Are Family. <laughs> yes, that's what we need. We need to is understand. Is this one of those 90s references? No, Sister Sledge was around before I was born. Oh. They're like from the 70s. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I think they were like, they said, I think it was Sister 
sledge. We are family. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, but I, literally, that's one of the takeaways for me is that yeah. we're not just people who come together on a Sunday that I happen to bump into. And, you know, we exchange those courtesies when the pastor says, you know, turn around and greet your neighbor, you know, fist bump, whatever. No, we are literally we're family. And and as family, we have a different type of relationship. And, you know, no, we might not share the same mother and father physically, but we share the same father supernaturally and ontologically like that is that's real. That's realer than real. And if we are understanding that, then we have a long way to go. So a lot of the curriculum focuses on our relationship as family first. How do I walk out my relationship with you as my sister in the Lord and have hard conversations because these conversations are real, but we, we approach them differently because we're family. I'm not going to just wild out on you or, you know, go off on you, you know, because we're family. There's, there's a difference there, um, different than how culture would um, approach these things. So that's the takeaway for me. I think similar for me, I really hope that people will, increase in their they'll take some risks with each other and people of every ethnicity will take risks with each other and that we will respond to those risks with love and empathy and kindness and that as people share their stories we get so many letters at the ministry from people of all ethnicities who've been damaged by critical race theory their family members have canceled them Uh, They've lost jobs. They've lost bonuses in their workplace. They've, they've, yeah, it's, it's tough out there. And I think one of my hopes is that it will open up our minds that racial um, partiality affects everybody. There's Mm -hmm. injuries on both sides Mm -hmm. and, and on all sides and that, people are being damaged and that we can care for each other. If we just slow down and get out of the cultural narrative long enough, get some people in the room and humanize each other a bit and, and really start to think about each other the way that the father thinks about us. That's always my goal when I'm talking about identity with people or identity in Christ is I want to orient people to think about one another, the way the father thinks about us. And so that I think that's one of my hopes that people will come away with. Yeah, that's good. So that so that reminds me of um, X X nine, right? Peter uh, Paul's on the road to Damascus, and he's persecuting Christians, and Jesus reveals himself to him and says, "Why are you persecuting me?" Mm. And you know, it's 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 some we forget that when we when when we're when when we're being persecuted. Not only does it affect us and our relationship to one another, but in some way, the Godhead is, you know, uh, is taking it personal. Like we're his bride who he died for. And so it's, it's, it's important that we relate to one another properly. And, you know, we're all in a process of growing. Uh, we don't do that perfectly. For some people, when you say family, they don't think unity. They think fighting, right? Right. Um, and so, so it, I think... And then I'll get to the next question here. I think this is important that even when you don't feel emotionally, lovingly toward your brother and sister in the Lord, that that isn't the that isn't what you test your love or your unity by. 
your your love and your unity goes back to the authoritative word of God, mm. right? So 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 what God accomplished on behalf of His people, you are to walk in as being a recipient of that as well, right? So 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 we're sinners saved by grace, and this is my brother and sister is a sinner saved by grace, and so I'm to relate to them the way God calls me to relate to them, even if I don't feel that way. Um, so anyway, that's important, right? Like we're, we're going to be sitting in groups with people going over this curriculum and, you know, we may have a lot of baggage, just emotional baggage, you know, a couple of white people sitting in a room, a couple of black people sitting in a room. And it's easy for you to think that because I don't feel a certain way next to this person, I can't sit next to them. It's like, no, that's not the standard. The standard is if you're in Christ, you're called to love Christ because he first loved, you know, you, you're, you're called to love your brother and sister because Christ loved you. Right. And, and it's an overflow of that. And it is to be expressed in obedience to God's word and your devotion to him. So anyway, that's good. Amen. Amen. Um, all right. Let's let's this is a, this is an important question because I, I thought about this for you guys or, or gals for you gals and thinking about like these topics that you have written about what was the most difficult part of writing this curriculum Whew. i think for me it was getting there you know okay. like all of the hard conversations that we had over period of two years or so two and a half years uh, to getting there like i i i wouldn't have been able to imagine that we would have gotten on the same page enough to be able to do this. And so to me, the hardest part was actually everything that came before the curriculum. And this is really just the fruit of the Lord being with us and, and so many of the hard conversations. I don't know how you'd answer that. I'm trying to figure out what hard conversations are you talking about? Stop it. <laughs> just playing. Well, hey, let me just add this because when you were talking, Kristen, the only thing I can em- envision is your first episode. <laughs> and I'm like, look at God. Here we go. Right. Look at where y'all was yeah. originally. Woo. Right? And now and now here y'all with this curriculum. And then that's praise God. That's a testimony to the Lord, man. Praise that, God. Man, that in that first te- by yourself. In that first episode, she was still up to her neck in critical race theory. She's like, What are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so me and my wife took screenshots of it and sent it. We sent it to her. Yes, they did. It was like, what's going on? And that we remember we had that small monitor. They called it the ant monitor. Yes. That was awesome. I think so, the so, boy, guys, yeah. what about you? The hardest part for me was that I think. And and still is, is that my mind is like being renewed constantly. My heart is being renewed constantly. So there were things, even when we started writing this, that I would disagree with you on. And then you'd be like, wait a minute, hold on. Let's get out the word. And I know you must have been like, we could be writing right now. But now I got to take the time, do an exegetical survey <laughs> on all of this stuff here and then bring her along. Um, but that's because like, I'm just, I was daily kind of like shifting and changing and allowing the Lord to develop a lot of my thoughts. Um, and then I think just, and it was just providence that you had just taken a class on hermeneutics mm-hmm. and the focus of the class that the prof led them through was the book of Ephesians. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when we sat down to write the curriculum, she was like, okay, I've, I've dug deep into this in my class 
And now, you know, that was just an amazing supernatural provision Mm -hmm. um, of the Lord that then we sat down for the curriculum. She's like, okay, I've, I've got some, some things to bring to the discussion. Yeah. And I also think, um, just not knowing, because this is my first time you've done this before, but not knowing how much to put in and trying to trust the Holy Spirit in, okay, we can leave this out. Like he will bring people along on their journey and not needing to give everyone all of the, the answers or all of the words. Yeah. That's yeah, that's it. good. That's good. That's real good. All right. So with that being said, uh, what are some challenges uh, do you think people who are going through the curriculum will face? I just got time out. Hold up. Why Kimba and Maria talking about diamond and two braids? <laughs> we was having a nice family meeting and now we got diamond and two braids in the chat. See, <laughs> but y'all, y'all been here from the, the, the beginnings. Um, okay. So what challenges do I think people will face? This isn't easy. I think having some of these conversations, facing your fears, rising to the occasion, having to go again when people, you know, say things that might not be politically correct or say things that can unintentionally hurt your feelings. You know, this could be a a reflection of what our relationship was like in the early years. You know, there this is risky and we're inviting people for the sake of family to join in the risk to get in the game at a deeper level. I think that these unfortunate cultural narrative right now that has become so polarizing, people feel helpless and they feel scared to take a risk. My hope is that people will eventually weather those internal conversations, take the risk and discover something about their brother and sister in the Lord and it will begin to shift mm-hmm. um, some of this toxic cultural narrative. And they'll, they'll truly begin to understand what it is to get our marching orders from the Lord rather than the culture Amen. when it comes to race issues. That I, my, my optimistic hope is that people will walk away from this feeling unburdened mm-hmm. from, from the culture, that they'll be able to cast off a lot of the cultural burdens that people are walking around with 50 pounds of luggage and they don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm one of my hopes is that they'll be able to put down the luggage and walk in the true freedom that, that, that yeah. Christ offers. My, oh, another hope that I have is that, that people will come away from it feeling more hopeful. They're feeling more optimistic. And uh, but I think the challenge of that will be opening ourselves up to the risk and failing and trying again. And I've said things that have been offensive and hurtful to Monique. She's said things that have been offensive and hurtful to me, but how we react to that is always a choice. And so if we can, we can stand in the Lord, stand in the power of the Holy spirit and not just react, but allow people to make mistakes, allow people to say stupid things sometimes but stay with them in it and have grace and patience and respond with kindness. And if we do or lose our temper, come back with a statement of, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And that there will be grace and and mistakes allowed. I think that's going to be the challenge for some people to put their pride to the side 
and and to really walk with one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Grace first. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. Yes. I pray that. I pray that. Um, all right. Last question, ladies. Uh, th- th- everything sounds good. Uh, everything looks good. I looked over the curriculum. Others have looked over it. I've heard the testimonies from others. And you were uh, actually an the- endorser on it. But yes, yes. And by the way, pineapple does go on pizza. Won't he do it? Yes. Right. Yes, it does. Throw that out there. Let's go throw that out there. Yes, it does. Thank uh, you very much. I didn't get to answer that question. So I got to answer that. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and pepperoni, pineapple and pepperoni on pizza. Yes, it does. That's how, that's how it's supposed to go. I, I do pineapple and ham, pineapple and pepperoni. Yes. Yes, I can get down with it. I'm now. wondering if there needs to be some data collection around the melanin and the the pineapple question. Now, that, now, now the lady who the lady who did the the artwork and the design and everything, she said something about ice cream on pizza. I, I don't know about that. That's a bit much. Icing, icing. cake icing. Icing, ah, it's a bit much. But are you so trying like, to say that people with more melanin like pineapple on their pizza? I don't know. I'm just kind of noticing a trend. Because JP Moreland and and myself, we were more on the no pineapple. That's that's kind of deviant so just a little spicy thaddeus kimba said pineapple is racist (laughs) Stop. so so last question how can people get this curriculum well you can go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled you can check it all out there and it's because it's now been released it's instantly uh deliverable so once you buy it, you will get it in your inbox. It's right now it's available as a digital PDF and videos. Um, we're hoping, Lord willing, to to um, do it eventually as also in a print version, but that's kind of in the works. So right now it's a digital download, but people will be able to get it. You can get licenses for your small group and save some money. Uh, you can even get a, li- a church license if if a pastor wants to do a church-wide campaign and um, we're just looking forward to seeing what the Holy Spirit does, that we are just putting our, the seeds out there and trusting the Lord for the harvest. Amen. Yes. Amen. So well, thank get you. It. It you can get it praise, today. Praise God. Yeah. And, and just encourage everyone, seriously, if you uh, are, are, thinking about these matters and wanting to really dive deep on the topics of unity and reconciliation and family and, 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 and have some good resources to help you think through this. Then seriously, I would encourage you to consider purchasing this and, um, and then tell a friend and, and maybe get your small groups together and uh, some people who maybe, you know, aren't going to agree with you and just sit down and pray Right. In in all things, pray. So Amen. just pray, pray that God do a mighty work. And that person who you think would never receive this or would never come, that may be the person that the Lord will, will, will draw to himself. And so so definitely uh, don't don't uh, don't short uh, cut the Lord. So just just keep praying and thank you for providing the resource. So God bless you. Well, thank you for guest hosting. Thanks, yeah. Edwin. We appreciate it. Yeah, Always fun you. to see you. All right. See you guys. Take care. All right. Bye. All that right. was interesting. We never get to be interviewed. I know. That was fun. That was good. I that's, like that. I think that's our second interview together. 
Yes. We did the one with Jonathan Morrow. And Impact 360. Yeah, that was fun. Yes, yes, I like that. Now, the the comment section on Facebook is all a buzz because people are like, no, it has nothing to do with, with ethnicity or skin color, melanin count. Um, Rachel and Jeremy and Laura, I believe, have formed a strong bond okay. against pineapple. Um, but Laura likes pineapple. She says, I love pineapple. Oh, no, yes. For, okay, sorry, Laura. Yeah. You, you are not a part of the Jeremy and Rachel situation. I didn't mean to throw you in with the enemy. Okay. But, because uh, truly, pineapple <laughs> is, it, it's, it's a good thing. It, it's a good thing. Now, well, Jeremy is in Chicago. He says, Chicago pizza is a gospel issue. It is. You know, Jeremy, you could turn that into an article for the Gospel Coalition. I'm sure their editors would welcome that because in their worldview, everything's a gospel issue. <laughs> I think pineapple on pizza would be like mixing fabrics. Definitely not biblical. That is awesome. Oh, my goodness gracious. You guys are the best. The best. But listen here, Diamond. Yes. We have one more thing to talk about. We do? Yes. Oh, I thought we were done. Nope. One more thing. Okay. On Saturday, August 7th. Oh, yes. I'm going to be speaking at um, Southern Evangelical Seminary's conference called Awaken. And it will be Bob Woodson from um, the 1776 Project in the Woodson Center. Eric Muldrow, who um, has been a guest on our podcast, he's a former police officer, and myself, we will be addressing um, just wokeness and social justice and this idea of racial reconciliation. I'll be telling my story about coming out of critical race theory. And it's kind yeah, of a, so, a half day conference. Yeah, it's only $10. Only $10. I would say if next you Saturday, are yeah, a week from today, next Saturday, if you are free from um, one to five Eastern time, go and spend the $10, sign up and come and just be informed, equipped and blessed by the conversation. You can. It's a great event to share with your pastor, your your elder team. It's it's a great like low commitment. It's just a few hours. But if you're wanting to introduce them uh, to these issues from a historic Christian standpoint with some really good speakers, um, this would be a great thing to share with your leadership team and to try to get them engaged in this discussion from a conservative point of view. Yeah. So, so go now, sign up. Yes. Now with that, I say sign up for Awaken, get the curriculum, up sign conference. up for Up. Yo, we coming at you with some stuff. It's That's good right. stuff. All right. And if that's not, I mean, that's it, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We pray that you have a great week until next Saturday, that the Lord keep you and bless you. Make sure you share the show. We're getting massive shadow banning on the show tonight. So those of you who are watching, we really need your help to like, comment, share the show. Even if you're watching it on the replay, that will really help us out. Yes. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.